Welcome, everyone. You're listening to The River Podcast, where you can find messages to help you strengthen your walk with Christ and refresh your soul. Here's our message from this past week. So if you have your Bibles, won't you turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 24? I'm going to try to keep it as short as I can today, but um, I say that every week, don't I? <laughs> Luke chapter 24. You know, I'm going to read verses um, 13 to 31, Christiane, if you, if you don't have that, that's all right. Oh, it's Kyle that's up there. Give a round of applause to Kyle. Come on. We appreciate you, Kyle. You're doing a great job. Hallelujah. So Luke chapter 24, 13 to 31. The story is about a couple men that were walking on their way to Damascus, seven miles um, after Jesus was crucified and he had resurrected. And the ladies found at the tomb that he was no longer there. And Jesus is now at this point walking out and about in the road. And he meets these two men and they begin to have a conversation. And he begins by saying this in verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. I said Damascus, I'm in Emmaus, sorry. About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now, we're talking about the crucifixion. Three days past, Jesus was crucified. He was killed in a very gory and bloody way. And these two men are walking, talking about this situation. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days what things Jesus asked about Jesus of Nazareth they replied he was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him but we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel and what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him did they not see. He said to them, how foolish are you and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, we're talking about Old Testament. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further or farther. But they urged him strongly saying, um, stay with us. For it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. 
when he was at the table with them, he took bread, as he always does, blessed it or gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and as they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> Just like that. Amazing. Title of the message this evening is Knowing Jesus. Just kidding. Knowing Jesus. If you're Haitian, that's how you read it. I'm Haitian. Knowing Jesus. All right. Knowing Jesus. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence. Your word and your presence. Come, Lord. We ask that you would fill this atmosphere, Lord God, with who you are. And as I speak, Lord God, I pray that you would surprise me. I pray that you would bring revelation like no other. Hallelujah. I give you thanks and praise, for I know you will. Open up the windows of heaven, and you will rain down fundamental truth and understanding to your people. Guide us, O Lord God, and grow us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people say, amen. Who is Jesus? This is a big question. And if you're a Christian and you grew up Christian, you might be like, well, I already know who he is. He's who my parents said he is. Or he's who my, my, my pastor says he is. And some of you in this room might say he is who he says he is. And that is a great answer. But who is he to you? Right? So who is Jesus? And this, we would not be the first people to ask this crazy question. Who is the son of man? Who is he? Even in the Bible, you will find people who were not supposed to be asking this question, asking this very question. In Mark chapter 4, verse 41, in the boat, when the disciples were, were in the boat and they thought they were going to die, Jesus was asleep in the boat. And before you know it, he came out into the dock of the boat. And when they're just going crazy, the, the waves are coming over their heads and they were getting ready to die. And then they woke him up. They said, Master, will you let us die? He said, <sighs> stepped out and he looked at the storm. He said, peace, be still. And everything got quiet for a moment. The disciples themselves looked among each other and they said, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Acts chapter 9, verses 5 on his way to Damascus, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, now I understand him asking this question because he was not yet Paul. He was Saul at the time. He was on his way to Damascus to murder some more Christians because that's who he was. And then Jesus himself, the resurrected Christ, stopped him on the road, knocked him off of his horse, blinded him, put a light in his head, and then immediately Paul asked the same question, who are you, Lord? Pontius Pilate. Asked Jesus the question when he was having a conversation with him before he were to send him to be crucified on the cross. The question, are you the king of the Jews? In other words, are you the Christ? And the fourth thing is in the triumphal entry, when Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, people were laying down palm fronds on the floor and their jackets and their coats, they were laying it down for him to come. But then everywhere you would hear people whisper in Jerusalem, the Bible says, who is this? It's a question that I think we need to constantly ask ourselves, but we need to add to it. It's not just so much, who is this, but who is this to me? 
It's not who is Jesus, but who is Jesus to me? Because Jesus, that was very important to him, especially when it came to the people that he was very close to, his disciples. In fact, he asked Peter that very same question. He said, Peter, who do men say that I am? And then Peter said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're the return of Elisha. Some say that you are a prophet. Some say that you're the Christ. And he says, now, that's all good and all that, but who do you say that I am? Because your life hangs upon that question, who is Jesus to you? What does he mean to you? Who is he to you? And when we look at the story, we look at these two men who are walking and the Bible said that their face is, are, is downcast. In other words, they're saddened, their heart is broken, and the reason their heart is broken is because they saw something that happened that they didn't expect to happen. But the problem with that is that they were supposed to expect it to happen because of who Jesus said he was. These two men were walking, and they were saddened. In fact, all of Jerusalem was sad about what happened three days ago. That Jesus Christ was, was put up on a cross and his hands were pierced, his feet were pierced, he had a crown of thorns on his head, and he died for the sin of the world. And then, if you think about what Jesus said prior to that time, three years of ministry, him saying over and over and again that the Son of Man will be put to death and in three days he will rise again. Now, if I say that to you in your Jerusalem, and, 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 and I, if I'm Jesus and I get hanged and crucified on the cross, and three days later, what are you doing in Jerusalem? Are you sad? Are you hurting? Are you broken? You see, because in my estimation, they shouldn't have been sad. They shouldn't have been hurting. They shouldn't have been broken. Let me tell you something. If Jesus said I was going to come back in three days after they put me to death and I saw him put to death, in three days I'm waiting in anticipation like he's coming alive. Let me tell you what Jerusalem should have looked like. They should have brought out Chris Tomlin. Put out all the, they should have put banners up. He's coming back. They should have put, they should have put the, the best worship leaders that they had the biggest concert that they had, the biggest party that they had in anticipation that Jesus is rising today. That's what it should have looked like in Jerusalem. But instead of that, what it looked like was a very dark and gloomy and sad place. See, the reality of this is that that's how people are. Even if God told you that your future is bright, you will be hyped up and amped up about it right here in this moment. But the moment you go through a trial or something that brings you down, you can't stop thinking about it. It's psychological. You know, studies show that you are more prone to remember the things that are hurting and things that break you rather than the things that make you happy. Do you know that's why it's so difficult for foster children who come out of the foster care system to have such a good life? Because they're so concentrated on the things that has happened to them in their past. It is scarred in their memory. I'm, I'm going to help you out for a second to understand what I'm saying. If, for instance, you were coming in here to the river this evening and you were very happy and you had a pretty good day and then all of a sudden you start, um, you know, coming up to the door and you're shaking hands, high-fiving people and right when you get up to the door, Isaiah, who was supposed to be holding the door for you, decides to slam the door in your face instead and say, stay out, I don't like you. 
and then you found a way to get in here for the rest of the service, you would have been like thinking about that moment. You wouldn't be able to receive from me. You wouldn't be able to receive from the Lord because that moment scarred you. And it's like that for Jerusalem at this time. They were scarred by what they saw three days ago. It wouldn't allow them to rejoice in the moment that they were supposed to be anticipating. And they missed Jesus. Today, there are so many things in your life that have probably happened to you that could cause you to miss what Jesus is doing right now. Don't miss the resurrection. And so... There are a few things I'm gonna to speak to you about today. And the first thing I'm gonna mention is this, I want you to hold on to this, is the fact that Jesus is more than an experience. Jesus is more than an experience. Listen to what he said to them. He said to them, how foolish are you? Slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Why did Jesus call them foolish? is because they were holding on to the experience of Jesus rather than figuring out who he really truly was to them. It's because of how they viewed him that caused them to miss Jesus. Listen to this. When he said, what are you talking about? He questioned them. You know what they said, that they how they described Jesus? Listen to how they described him. He was a prophet, the experience. He, he was a powerful, he was powerful in word. He was a good teacher the experience. He, 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 was, he was powerful in word and he was also powerful in deed before God and all the people. We loved him. We respected him. He was a good teacher. He was a good, you know, you know, he was a good leader. But guess who else thinks Jesus is a good teacher and a good leader? The Muslims. But salvation is not for people who think Jesus is a good teacher Salvation is not for people who think that Jesus is just a good leader. Salvation is not for people who think that Jesus um, can, can help them be morally better. No, salvation is for people who trust in the Lord and see him as God himself and makes him Lord over their lives and allows him to lead their lives because that's what Jesus is to you. Jesus is more than an experience or a lesson or, or a good sermon. Jesus is Lord, he is God, he is a leader of your life. And if you are not submitting or laying down your life to Jesus, you can't have what he's giving. You can't. You just can't. The Bible says that even the demons tremble. Come on. They know his name, they fear him, but salvation is not for them. They didn't see him as who he truly is. God, Lord, Christ, that's what matters. They should have said, um, yeah, we, 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 we know him. Let's, let's explain this Jesus. I'm talking about he was 100% man and 100% God. Jesus said before Abraham lived, he was there. He existed. Jesus said, if you see him, you see the father. Jesus said he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life, and no one goes to the Father or heaven except through him. Jesus was called God by Thomas when he poked his hands in, in the sides and in his hands, and Jesus did not correct him. The apostles called him Lord. The angels bowed before him. You know, a lot of people like to say, you will find religions that will come to you and tell you that Jesus was 
an angel. They'll tell you that he was, in, he was not God, he was an angel. But that is false because angels worshiped him. What angel worships an angel? That makes no sense. And everything the Bible says was created through him and for him. He is everlasting. He is God in the flesh. His name actually means salvation. So it is through him you get salvation. And religion could start turning Jesus into some kind of fable or Santa Claus that watches you and knows what you're doing here and there. And then we come and we sing about him and we say, glorify your name, but we can go back and live our lives the way we want. You see, it doesn't work that way. When Jesus is Lord over our lives, that means that we lay down our lives for his. He laid down his life for us, so we laid down our lives to follow him. Jesus was the one who left heaven, the comforts of his home, to come be with us so that we would have life. I don't know if you remember, but there was a, a sermon that I preached maybe three months ago. And, and I was talking about how when Jesus was going to, to raise Lazarus, he left them dead for four days. And then the disciples came and said, don't, don't worry about it. I mean, he's already dead. No, Jesus said, no, no, we're going we're gonna to take care of that. But don't worry, he's, he's still dead. No, we're, we're going to take care of that. And then Jesus waited four days for the body to be rotten and stinking. But then there was something very significant that Jesus said that he was going to do. He was going to raise up Lazarus. And then he got a letter that changed his heart. He said, he's, the letter said, the one whom you love. You see, if I was going to write a letter to Jesus to, to persuade him to come and change my situation, I would say, God, I love you so much. You need to come and change this. But you have to understand that your love doesn't change anything. Your love doesn't save anything. Your love doesn't turn anything upside down. It's the love of God that changes everything. See, when God was making the decision to come down to send his son to save us, it wasn't, God, it wasn't the people of God screaming, God, come and save us because we love you. No, it was because God said, you need me. And because I love you, I'm going to come down and save you. It is the love of God that changes everything. But if we exchange the love of God or, or, or the lordship of God for just an experience, we will miss out on everything that God is trying to do. The second thing is this. Knowing Jesus can only be answered by a way of a humble heart. You can't come into this situation prideful. You can't come into this situation unforgiving. You can't come into this situation holding grudges against people because when you give your life to Jesus, you let go of everything, including your pride and your hurt and your pain. You need to put it all at the cross. Amen. So knowing Jesus can only be answered by way of a humble, of a humble heart because the word says that God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. So what that means is the moment you come to Jesus, the first thing you have to do is admit. Admit it. Come on, go ahead and admit it. I am broken. Admit it. I'm not perfect. Go ahead and admit it. I am a sinner. And the moment you do that, God's heart is opened up to you because that's how you receive his grace. 
You have to be willing to lay it all down. Lay down your pride. Lay down who you are. The reason a lot of us really can't receive Jesus for who he really is to us is because we still hold on to a lot of pride. And often that pride comes from comparison. You say, well, I mean, think about it for a second. I mean, most of the people that you ask in this world, are you a good person? What will they tell you? Yes, I'm a good person. I'm a great person. Why do you think you're a good person? Well, because, you know, I, don't, I haven't killed anybody and stole anything. I ain't cheated on my wife or nothing like that. What are they doing? They're just comparing themselves to other people. You know what that's like? It's like entering into prison or being put into prison for stealing a piece of bread. And while you're in prison, you're going, what are you here for? I'm here for murder. Oh, okay, got you. What are you here for? I'm, I'm here for theft. I'm here for this or I'm here for that. But let's, guess what? You're all in prison. It doesn't matter how big or how small the, the sin was. It doesn't matter how big or how small it was. We're all locked up. We're all in jail. We're all in prison and we all need a savior. And the only way we can get out of this prison cell is not because we're good enough or we've behaved enough. It's when the warden says, you're my friend. It's when you've built a relationship with Jesus. It's when you've built a relationship with the one who can release you, then you can go out. But pride of comparison to people will keep you from receiving the love of God. Pride or comparison is a killer of love. Comparison is a killer of love. Every time you compare yourself to someone else, it's going to be very hard for you to love them. Think about the people you compare yourself with today. It's going to be very hard for you to love them. But Jesus wants you to stop comparing yourself to other people. Let go of that person's gifting. Let go of that person's um, of, of, you know, abilities. Let go of that person's favor. Let go of everyone's, whatever it is that you're, you're, you're envying or want out of someone else's life. Let it go and find out who Jesus is to you. What is his calling upon your life? What does he want for you? Where does he want you to go? That's the questions you need to answer today. Because the more and more we keep comparing ourselves to other people, we're killing the joy that we could find in the love of God. You ever heard the term that grass is greener on the other side? Man, my neighbor has some real good grass. I ain't gonna lie to you. When I, when I used to live in my dad's house, my dad would be like, hey, go cut the grass. I'd be like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go cut the grass. It's, a, it's, it's just a term, but it's real. You're looking at your little dirty patches, the little brown patches. You're like, man, what is he doing over there? That's so good. Like he, his grass is so nice, right? You, you go and you got your lawnmower. You ain't even turn it on. You're just looking. Like, look, look how he's putting the seeds down. He knows what he's doing. He's it's like, you know, you just watch a neighbor do his thing. And all the while, your, your grass is just dying. And, and the more you stay there and the more you look at him doing the work, the more you look at him doing what he's doing, uh, living out his calling, doing whatever it is that God has called him to do. And the more you look over there is the more your grass dies. And the more you begin to despise your grass. And the more you begin to hate your house and the more you begin to guilt yourself because you're not as good as whoever it is. 
And the thing is, this is not something that is happening with the world. It's something that is happening in the church. And I say this because it's something that needs to be said. And, and, and if every part of the body would learn to say, I'm going to do whatever it is that God called me to, then we would find a healthy body. If for any reason my thumb wanted to be my toe, it would not work. It would not. That's not where you belong. And the moment you start walking in your calling, you will realize that that is the happiest you'll ever be. I know a lot of y'all have a desire to be up here worship leading. Y'all can smile. But if you ain't got it, <laughs> if God ain't give it to you, well, come on, don't do it. Because what's happening is if he's calling you to be serving as an usher, that is the most joyful you will ever be, being who you were called to be. What are you called to be? And what does Jesus mean to you? Amen. The third thing I'm pointing out this evening is that Jesus wants you to make a decision for who you think he is. He wants you to make a decision. I mentioned earlier that he asked Peter that very question, who do men say that I am? And after Peter told him who men said that I am, that he is, he turned around and said, well, who do you say? Because that's what matters to Jesus. He's a personal God. When he looks at this crowd, he doesn't see a whole bunch of people. He sees you. Like, he knows you by name. When that man was putting that nail in his hand, he knew his name. He knew every single person in that place. He knows them personally by name. He knows your heart. He knows your mind. And so when Jesus wants a relationship with you, he doesn't want a secondary relationship with you. He doesn't want a relationship through somebody else with you. He wants a relationship with you, the one whom he knows. And so if you're not praying, if you're not seeking, if you're not abiding, if you're not yielding in the presence of God, you will miss out on the real relationship that God wants with you. And so when we look at this, he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? That was super important to Jesus. And he wants you to make that decision for yourself also because he loves you. You see, that's what love does. Love gives a choice. If ever I were to tell my son, you better love me, I become unloving. The moment I, I make his hands do something that I want him to do, he becomes resentful towards me. But love gives a choice. And although that choice could be, I don't love you, that doesn't mean that I don't love you. Do you see what I'm saying? If I give you a choice, I say, do you love me? You could say, yes, I do. Then I say, thank God you love me. I can give you a choice and say, do you love me? You say, I don't love you and turn away from me. That doesn't change my love for you. See, God's love for you remains, and he wants you to continue to have a choice because giving a choice means you love. To love is to give a choice. Jesus found it necessary to teach these men all the Bible and all the Old Testament while he was walking with them. Can you imagine walking with Jesus for seven miles? And then he begins to teach you 
about the Old Testament and all that the Old Testament says about him. I mean, that, that for me, it blows my mind because even today we're still studying the Old Testament and, and, and pointing to Jesus and we're discovering things every single day, but they got this firsthand experience from Jesus. I could imagine Jesus going into them and t- talking to them about ex- Exodus chapter three and 14, where he was there when God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, he said who, who shall I tell the people? What's your name? God said to Moses, I am who I am. So tell the people that I am sent you. And then Jesus in the New Testament comes in John 8 and 58. Um, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you um, before Abraham was, come on, I am. And you know what it says right after this? Because he was talking to religious leaders who understood the Exodus text. Right then and there, they picked up stones to stone him because they said, that's blasphemy. You are calling yourself God. See, at that point, it should have been, you're calling yourself I am. Does this mean that you are God? And they would have gotten an answer. And then they would have found out who Jesus is to them. But they fought that. And here Jesus proclaimed that he is God. He proclaimed that he is the same God from the Old Testament. He proclaimed that he is the same God who created the heavens and the earth. And he is the same God who came down and died and resurrected. The problem also that people had with Jesus in this situation is not so much that he was calling himself God. It's really because he was interrupting business as usual. These religious leaders wanted to stone him because he was interrupting all the things that they were doing, all the corruption in the temple. He was interrupting all the stuff that they were, all the business as usual. Now, I know that we have things in our lives that we plan. We have business as usual. You go to work every day, right? You, you, do your, you live your life every day as you want to live it sometimes. What if God came and said, I want you to quit? What if God came and said, I want you to stop? Or I want you to go? Are we willing to stop or do whatever it is that God tells us to do? Are we willing to allow him to interrupt our business as usual? You see, because this was the problem for a lot of the religious leaders back then. I I would take Jesus if he was going to do the same thing that I'm used to. But I'm not going to take him if he's going to interrupt my will. There is your will and there is God's will. But are you willing to lay down your will for God's will? The rich young ruler was a great example of this because when Jesus approached him, he told him exactly what he needed to do in order to enter into the kingdom. He told him you must sell everything, give it up, lay it down, pick up your cross, and follow me. But that was too much for him because he had to lay down his will. What is your will today? What are your plans for your life? But are you willing to allow God to interrupt this? Because that question alone will tell me what you think God means to you. Some of y'all, God has been calling you for years. to to do something, to start something, maybe to stop something. God God has been calling you for years to to, to cling to him and to partner with him in in certain things. But because you've been too busy with your plans, you say, God, I I don't know if I can can do this now. Maybe, Maybe in two years. You might not have it. 
There's an urgency. And we might not hear this message all the time that Jesus is coming back. But guess what? Jesus is coming back. And we have no idea when this will happen. But he's calling you for a, a job, a title, a duty, a work, a mission, whatever it is he's calling you to, you better lay it down right now and do it. Because he's coming back and you don't know how much time you have left. God is saying the kingdom of heaven is now, guys. He laid down the kingdom right here for us to, to work. But he says the, the, the harvest is plenty. The laborers are few. Because he knows the challenges that we face. The fears that are in our hearts. But God said, lay down your fears. Lay down you pick up your cross and follow me. Amen. Another thing here is that they were not used to seeing God that close. See, it's a, different, it's a different dynamic. You know, when you're used to going to the temple and having to go through a priest that would have to wait a year to go through a curtain about six, or I don't know how thick that curtain was. It had to go, that it was pitch black in there to, to have to talk to God and he would come back out and have to tell you what God said. They weren't used to God being this close. And so when Jesus came with so much authority, it was mind-boggling, mind-blowing to see someone speak with that much authority. And they couldn't deny his authority. They just wanted to deny that he was God because they didn't want him to be, right? And sometimes we, we don't want God to, to, to interrupt. We don't want him to intervene. We pray like, Lord, please let me keep doing what I'm doing because I'm comfortable right here. God's like, I didn't call you to comfort, Right? And so at this point, they weren't used to God being this close, and he was too close to them to be God. And, and, and I feel like sometimes when God gets close is, is when we doubt. And that's my story also. I remember growing up as a Christian, having no idea who God was to me. I knew who he was to my parents because, you know, if, if you ask me, you know, who is Jesus? I'm like, Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. But that meant nothing to me. It just was something that I said because I grew up in it. And every, every night I would pray. And the prayer that I would pray is, God, I know I'm a sinner, but I don't let me go too far before I die. That's like my prayer. It was like this generic little prayer that I would pray. And I would still be living my life the way I really wanted to live it. It wasn't until God actually visited me and he changed my life and I gave my life to Jesus for real. And at that point, I realized that everything I thought I knew, I didn't know. It became this big cloud of confusion for me. Like, I, I, I didn't really understand. I couldn't even explain grace to you. I couldn't explain who Jesus really was to me. And so I had to find. And I kept seeking and searching and looking. Going to the Bible, seeking, searching and looking. And then finally, when I, when I started to find Jesus... And really digging and pressing in, I realized the closer I got is the more that I doubted. That was scary for me. Because at this point, I started thinking to myself, wow, do you even really believe in this Jesus that your parents was teaching? And, and the more I doubted and I doubted, I, I, said, I said, God, I, I need to know I'm so confused right now. The more I search is the more I doubt. I, I don't get this. And God allowed it to, to keep going. And I went to a service one day right here and then pastor was preaching and he said, there, there's a young man in here, you know, 
you're going through something, you need to come up. I come up to the, to the platform and everybody else was there. By the time he got to me, had my hands lifted up like this and he touched both hands, he said, you have the gift of healing. And I said, okay, great. And he goes, you have the gift of faith. I said, boy, did he miss that one. Like, this is the time where I'm doubting the most I've ever doubted in my life. And he tells me that I have the gift of faith. And then I turn around and I walk away. I take three steps to go back to my seat and God hits me like, boom. He says, listen to what he just said because you have the gift of faith. I said, but God, what do you mean by that? He said, I've allowed people to doubt this far and they've walked away from me, but you're still, but you're still here. And I was, I was riding on a mustard seed and I was still hoping. I said, I, said I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what happened to me, God, but I know that, that it couldn't have been anything else. Now, while my brain can't make up whatever I'm reading, I know that my spirit is saying, my heart is saying something else. And I kept pressing in and pressing in and pressing in and reading and, and trying to press in and press in. And that night I went to prayer and I opened my Bible and the only Bible that I had was a King James Version, which, is, which would explain why it was so hard for me to understand. <laughs> King James Version, and I'm reading this thing, thou and thus and this and that. And as I'm reading it, I fall into the New Testament upon a scripture about Jesus. And then in the center of my Bible, I realized these little letters and numbers, and I was like, well, what do these represent anyway? Turns out I had a reference Bible, and I didn't even know it. I didn't know what that was. So I'm looking and I see J-N. I was like, oh, that must mean John. I see E-Z-K. I was like, that, means, that must mean Ezekiel. I said, okay, these are, these are chapters in the center of my Bible. I didn't know that. And then I started realizing that they had letters and alphabets all over the scripture. That was like little references. And I said, did I not go to school? Like, how did I not know this? And I started matching things up. And the more I matched, I would go left and right I would read scripture about scripture about scripture and the doubts that I had about Jesus every single one of them were answered that night by the Holy Spirit every single doubt he answered for me I didn't have to go to small group for it I didn't have to watch a video for it I didn't have to be coached or taught about it Jesus revealed it to me because I seek I sought him out and he gave it to me the one verse that actually did it to me, the main one for me, I don't know about you, but for me, was Psalm 22. I fell upon Psalm 22 and I started asking questions. I said, God, I'm hearing these people saying that this whole Jesus thing was a hoax. And God, I want to I know more about you. And, and I'm having trouble believing that you actually existed. I'm having trouble believing that you were actually a human being, God, and 100% God, 100%. I'm having trouble believing this, but I need to know. And then God said, what do you need to know? I said, I need to see that there's prophecy. I need to see that somebody spoke this. Psalm 22, and I read it, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'm going to read a few verses. It says, actually it starts with, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? 
those are the very, this is, this is David 1,000 years before Jesus writing this. 1,000 years before Jesus writing this. And David says, in his trouble, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I, I immediately read, I said, okay, that sounds like Jesus. And I kept reading and verse seven said, all who see me mock me, they hurl insults at me, shaking their heads. I said, well, that sounds like him down the Via Dolorosa, walking to the cross. And then verse nine said, yet you brought me out of the womb. I said, well, that sounds like the Holy Spirit coming in, giving birth through a woman, a, a, a virgin. You made me trust you even at my mother's breast. And in verse 14 says, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. You know, when they put Jesus on that cross, you know, they actually had to pull his bones out of joint in order to stretch him on that cross. His bones were out of joint. And then verse 14 continues to say that my heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. I was watching this thing on the History Channel that said they were analyzing the whole crucifixion. And Jesus, when he was pierced on the side, the Bible says that water and blood came out. And through science, I guess they were saying, like his heart literally had to have exploded. In other words, melted within him in order for that to happen. Verse 15 says, my mouth is dried up like a pot shirt. That sounds like Jesus on the cross saying, I thirst. And then it says, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. That's extreme dryness. And he says, you lay me in the dust of death. Verse 16 says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. How in the world is David going through something 1,000 years before the crucifixion was even here. It, it didn't exist. They didn't do this in that time. But David writes, this is how he feels. He said, I feel like you pierce my hands and my feet. Speaking about his great, 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 great grandchild. And he doesn't even know it. David continues to say, all my bones are on display. Did you know that when Jesus was on the cross, he was completely naked. This was a shameful thing. for they, they didn't put the little cloth on him. No, they stripped him naked because they want him to feel shame. All my bones are on display. People stare and they gloat over me. And then he says, they divide my clothes among them. In the New Testament, it says that the, the very guards that put him up on the, on, the, on the cross because they had put a purple robe on him that cost a lot of money to mock him as the king of the Jews. They took that cloth off of him, they ripped it, and they gambled for his clothes. They split it amongst themselves and they gambled for it. They cast lots. And so David says, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. And I had to think to myself, okay, my heart was already given to Jesus, but now my mind is starting to turn. My doubts are starting to go away at this point because I'm thinking to myself, I mean, if it was a hoax, if this thing was fake, if this thing was some kind of fable or a story, listen, if Jesus was a hoax, so many people would have to be in on this, this hoax. Think about this for a second. Jesus had to be in on it. 
His mom, Mary, would have to be in on it and teach him to be in on it. His dad would have to be in on it. His brothers and sisters, who some of them wrote parts of the Bible who actually didn't believe in the beginning but then believed, would have to be in on it. Pontius Pilate, the guy who crucified him, would have to be in on it. Even Herod, the one who didn't want him, would have to be in on it. The men who created the style of crucifixion would have to be in on it. Think about that. The soldiers who gambled for his clothes would have to be in on it. The people who cheered and jeered. The disciples who walked away from him and those who came to him. They would all have to be in on it. This would have to be the greatest hoax in history. It is impossible for this to be a hoax. Jesus was a real person. Jesus walked this earth. He was 100% God who loves you. 100% man who died for you. God came and died for sinners like us. This is real, y'all. This is real. If you haven't realized it yet, you need to ask yourself the question, who is Jesus to me? Because once this affects you for real, you can't do business as usual. Once this really pierces your heart and you really understand with your heart and with your mind that this actually happened, you will understand that there actually is everything he said that there is. There is a heaven and that there is a hell. And that there are some people, in fact, most people in this world that will go to perdition and just a very few because of people like you who aren't afraid and ashamed of the gospel of Christ who will take it to the people who will be saved. Guys, this is no joke and it's no hoax. Jesus is real and he's coming back and he loves you and he wants to use you. Amen. Can we stand together? These two men, the Bible said, walked seven miles with Jesus to Emmaus. From Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they're walking seven miles. And Jesus approaches them, and the Bible said that they had no idea who he was. They walked with him seven miles, and he taught them in that time. How long have you been walking with Jesus and you still don't know who he is? That's a question that you might have to ask yourself. Perhaps you've been serving in a church for a very long time. Perhaps you've been going to church for a very long time. Perhaps you've been walking with him for a very long time, but you still feel like you don't know who he is. Let me tell you something. Today is your opportunity to know him personally. Not to know him through someone. Not to know him by someone else's word, but to know him personally the word says when he was done walking with them he broke bread with them he sat with them he supped with them and and when he blessed the bread he broke the bread and he gave the bread to them it says that their eyes were opened some versions of the bible call call these two men disciples of jesus with all heads bowed and eyes closed i'm going to ask you a question this evening maybe you've been walking with jesus for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. 
Maybe you've been walking with Jesus for years. You've been coming to church. You've been doing service. But today you're saying to yourself, maybe I just need to know him more. And you want to know him more. I want to pray with you today because your life depends on it. If that's you today, why don't you lift your hands and I'll see you. I see you all over this place. Hallelujah. And uh, you can put your hands down. I'm going to make another call. If you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you've been walking far from him, and today you want to make the decision to lay down your pride, lay down your fears, lay down your anxieties, and you want to pick up the cross and follow Jesus so that you would be with him, and you would make that decision today to say, Jesus, I'm yours. And I want to make you Lord of my life today. And you want to make that decision today. Lift up your hands and I'll also see you. And we'll pray together. All over this place. I see you. And I see you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The River YA. All of our links to keep in touch are down below. We hope this blessed you and we'll see you next time at the river. Come find life.